now. Hey guys, welcome back to Shades of Strong, where we are continuing the conversation on all the things that shape, make, and sometimes break the strong Black woman. But not only are we talking about those things, we are also helping you peel back the layers to those things so that you can live from a place that is whole, healed, and happy. Because that's where life is, girl. (laughs) I'm Cheryl, and of course, I am here with my girl, Natty. Hey, Natty, what is up? Hey, girl, how are you? I will do. I will do. No, I'm, good, girl. I'm good it's actually been a really good week thus far so yeah i'm good all is well in Glad my world to hear that. So, good, you know, nothing, good. nothing to complain about you know we still yet holding on yeah yes yes remember, yet remember holding when on. Grandma That's right. used to say that yes. you yet holding on i know what i'm holding on to exactly right. but yeah yes <laughs> Yes, I still yet hold it up. Okay, anyway, today we are t- taking a deep dive or taking a dive into the murky waters of the fatherless black girl. <laughs> but before we dive into the deep waters, just a few reminders. Number one, we are we have free healing resources available for you on the website at shadesofstrong.com. Just Go to the website, click on the button that says free resources. We have, as of now, we have a free meditation that will help you move past some of the emotional emotional pain from the past. So that's already there. Hop over there, get it. It's absolutely free and it is life altering. Number two, tell a friend or tell a friend. If you are enjoying these conversations and you know someone who needs it, who may be struggling with moving past some of the residual effects of emotional trauma and abuse, emotional trauma and abuse, share the podcast. Like, don't keep it to yourself. Tell your friend, come get this healing, sis. Follow us, join the conversation. You know we're, we are Shades of Strong across all platforms. If you have any questions, comments, or if you want to have a conversation about your own individual healing process, you can leave us a voice message on the website at shadesofstrong.com or send us a quick email at hi at shadesofstrong.com because we are here for you. All right. Anything you want to add, Nazi? Oh, no. That, I think you've said it all. I be doing the thing down now. Yes. Okay. You do. You really do. You're on, you're on top of things. <laughs> all right. Let's get into it. So, again, we want to talk about the fatherless black girl. And the first thing I want to point out about this is that not all fatherless black girls come from broken homes. I know that's immediately where our mind goes when you hear the word, oh, she don't have a dad. Like we immediately think, oh, she come from a single parent home. But that is not necessarily the case. You can be fatherless and, and actually you can be fatherless and still have a father in the home with you because it's ultimately about his presence and the love and that's emotional right. support that he provides you. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And as you guys know, Natty and I have two very different experiences. Natty lost her father when she was 11 years old, I believe. And my parents separated slash divorced around that same time. So although we have different experiences, we both grew up without our fathers. And that had an emotional toll on our lives as we began to grow into adulthood. So 
Natty, I would love for you to share some of your experience of what that was like for you growing up without your dad and how it affected you growing up as an adult and even how perhaps you raise your children now. Yeah, well, it was very difficult when my father died because I'm I'm an only child and so I didn't have and I also didn't have a lot of I didn't really have friends that I could talk to. The neighborhood that we lived in, it was mostly older people and so there they had grandchildren that would come stay with them or visit them like during the summers especially and so that's when I would see kids my age most of the time but other than that the kids that I saw were kids at school and the school that I went to was not close to my house because it's the school where my my mom worked as a teacher so it was one county over so didn't have a lot of peers that not that I would talk to them even if I did about that but just you know as a child as an 11 year old child to have some sort of outlet with other kids to just kind of be a kid and to play and to hang out and to have my mind off of things. I didn't really have that. So it was just me and my mom. And my mom, of course, is grieving. I don't know how she's grieving because I didn't really see her doing it. And I guess I'm grieving too, but I don't know exactly how. <laughs> just thinking back, I don't really, I feel like everything just kind of went on autopilot for a long time it just felt like I was going through the motions of living life until we until we moved out of our house that was the the house that my my parents owned together and moving out of that house was also very hard but it wasn't until we moved to a new place that it all of a sudden didn't feel like I wasn't it didn't feel like I was living in on autopilot anymore. So being an 11, 12 year old kid, I can't say that, oh, I did this or that or the third to get through the pain of losing my dad, because honestly, I don't think I did anything. I just, the, the lonely, the loneliness that I felt, I didn't, I wouldn't even say that it was amplified because I mean, it was already pretty bad, but it just, it was just me being in a new environment and that environment didn't include my dad anymore. So my mom and I, we got closer. It felt like our relationship changed. It felt like, um, I mean, yeah, it was still mother and daughter, but to a greater degree, it was almost like we were, there was a, there was a special shared bond that we had. And unfortunately it was, it was a shared bond of trauma. And so we were just feeling our way through that or living through that trauma together. And by the time I was in high school, it felt like more like we were sisters than we were mother and daughter. And we were always, we were very close. We, you know, my mom was very present and we spent a lot of our time together. Like I wasn't, I wasn't the kid that was always just out of the house going off doing whatever, because also I didn't have a whole lot of friends so it wasn't like I was going a lot of places <laughs> and I wasn't going to go a bunch of places by myself as a teenager so I wasn't doing a whole lot of that um, and she was working two jobs and so when she was home and I was home we were home and I just remember feeling um, a lot of comfort like the the home that we ended up in it was a very nice house 
And it's a shame that my dad didn't get to see it. But we, there was just a lot of comfort and we really built a home there. But at the same time, there wasn't a lot of communication going on. There wasn't anything where I was telling her about my struggles with depression, my struggles with loneliness, how much I missed my dad, things that were going on with school, being bullied and stuff like that. I wasn't telling her any of those things. And she, of course, wasn't telling me anything that was going on with her. So yeah, it was kind of like we were just living as, as sisters who hung out and had a good time and loved each other, but didn't really talk about deep stuff. Is there ever a time where, like, do you feel like you, you processed his death? Like, so since you and your mom weren't having communication about it, did you have an outlet for it at all? I think the outlet that I had was in writing a lot, but I wasn't, I wasn't writing about my feelings. I was just writing all kinds of different things. And I was also listening to music all the time. I think listening to music was more of an escape for me. And so those two things together, and then just kind of throwing myself into uh, school and like the activities that I was in at school, that also helped me. I think those are the things that helped me not sink even deeper into depression. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then there were times through those four years of high school where I did have some friends and they were through the different activities that I was in. And, you know, and I had a couple of boyfriends and that wasn't really all that, all that great. But, you know, I had, a, you know, what seemed to me or what I thought was like a, a sort of normal teenage life, the kind of life that I thought all the other teenagers were having, except, you know, the other teenagers probably had a larger circle of friends and probably were more popular or whatever. So I was able to just kind of escape into that. And when I wasn't at school, I would, I would listen to music and I would write things and I would, I don't know, I would just kind of find things to occupy my occupy my time at home and yeah that it was really kind of it's it's kind of hazy now thinking about it because geez I'm almost 50 four years away from being 50 so this was like wow was this really 30 years ago this can't be right but yeah I guess it was close to 30 years ago so it's like wow um weird so it feels it seems kind of hazy but yeah I think just having music to listen to and having thoughts to write down and I wasn't writing things every day but I do remember I remember having that as as an outlet but yeah I still didn't have anyone to talk to because who was going to understand there was nobody everybody had their dad or the people that didn't have their dad it wasn't because their dad was dead it was because oh my parents are divorced they split up whatever whatever and so it's just a very different dynamic and so nobody um you know, we didn't even, in my school, we didn't even have the experience of, of losing like a student until I was a senior. So we were actually fairly fortunate considering all the different kinds of things that were going on in the area that I lived in. There was a lot of stuff going on, but luckily for us, there wasn't a whole lot of violence at that school at the time. So yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't everyone understands death and losing people because people really hadn't lost a bunch of people. So I didn't have anyone to talk to. And that, you know, I wasn't going to talk to my guidance counselor or anything like that because it was just very strange. It, it was, it was a predominantly black school, but it wasn't always a predominantly black school. 
And so a lot of the administrators and things were white and it did not feel like they had a vested interest in the students. So yeah, I wasn't going to go talk to some counselor, guidance counselor about it. So I, I can honestly say I didn't really fully start to process the, the grief that I had around losing my dad until I was well into an adulthood and I was a mother myself. I think that's what happened to, well, again, our experiences are different. And I didn't start the process, my dad's absence, until I was probably in my late 30s, I believe. And I think, and I think the only reason I began to process it at that time was because another traumatic event happened in my life. And it kind of shook me and it made me realize that you need to deal with some of this stuff that you that you haven't dealt with yet. So I think that was the that was like I think be, prior to then it was just like, okay, it happened, get over it, move on, you ain't got no daddy, keep it moving. I think that's how I nobody ever said those things to me, but I think that's how I how I felt, you know, as I was growing up from a child into my teenage years and all of that. And I think, um, like you was, and I'm glad that our, our experiences are different because it gives us an opportunity to come at this from two different perspectives. Because for me, after uh, my dad left, I didn't even realize that healing needed to take place or, or that his death affected me, affected the way I was living my life as an, as an adolescent, as a teenager, even in, in, into adulthood. But as I continue because again healing is a continuous process continue to heal from that trauma I had to admit that I was indeed affected by my father's absence I had to accept the fact that it contributed to how I live and breathe even even now it contributes to the decisions and the choices that I make in my life it has contributed to how I raise my children mm-hmm. and it, it has contributed to relationships, dysfunctional relationships that I've been in and out of. I can remember as as a child, just like even after my dad left, like I was a tomboy. I had always been a tomboy. But in hindsight, I see that now as me taking on the attributes of a male because I didn't have a lot of, of female friends. It was like I was like I would hang out with the boys. I would play football with while all, my, all the girls were playing jacks and skating and all that stuff. I was playing football with the boys and swinging from Tarzan from Tarzan vines. But as I continued to go into this healing process, I realized that that was somewhat of a coping mechanism for me. Did you experience any of that, like any anything similar to that because your dad was not in your life? I think what I ended up doing, especially in junior high and, and definitely in high school is the few friends that I did have, almost all of them were boys. And mm-hmm. I wasn't talking to them, you know, in air quotes, talking to them like, oh, we're we're talking like we're almost dating talking. I was just talking like they're uh, their friends. And mm-hmm. right, right. I can't say for sure that that that's what they always thought, but it felt like that's what they, they thought, you know. So it just it felt fine. I think that is I think one of the ways that I um, coped, I, because I w- it wasn't like I never had friends that were girls before, but for whatever reason in high school, it was easier for me to have friends that were boys 
now and those friends that I had, it it's not that nothing nothing bad happened. None, I didn't have a falling out with any of them, but it's almost like those were my friends for a season because you know once we grew up and we were out of high school and all that, you, you lose touch. I lost touch with all of them. So yeah, I think that's kind of interesting too because the guy friends that I did have, we got along really well and. We had a lot of shared interests and things. And those were the few friends that I remember having that I felt comfortable around. I didn't feel like anything I said or did, I was going to be judged later and dropped, you know, later. Whereas I kind of had that sort of experience with friends that were girls. Not that they would drop, I guess drop is not the right word. Everything would be fine as long as it was a one-on-one situation. But when other people came into the picture, you know, at, you know, at school or in some kind of other like activity or whatever, it was almost like they all of a sudden didn't know me and guys didn't act like that with, they didn't act like that with me. So, but yeah, I guess that was, you know, I didn't even think about it like that until you said that, I guess that was one of the ways that I kind of coped. I, I guess I was drawn to other guys. I see that in, in my girls now, now that I'm thinking about it. Like, I know for sure it's like she does not have a lot of female friends. Like, her best friend is a, is a guy. And she, and I think, I think she took it the hardest when, when her dad and I split up. I think she, she took it the hardest. And I think that she, longed for him the way that I longed for my dad and even at her age now she still does she longs for him like she wants him she desires for him to be a part of her life and it hurts her that that um that he's not and so I see her clinging to her best friend the way that I cling to males in my life you know when, when I was her age like all of my friends more males and it, and like he was saying it wasn't anything romantic like I wasn't interested in them romantically I just enjoyed their company mm-hmm. but on the flip side of that what I found happening was like I said I began to take on I hate to say the male role but I kind of did that's where the whole um strong independent um I didn't feel like I, I I could be vulnerable because, you know, men are typically not vulnerable. Mm-hmm. They don't show emotion. And so I kind of fed off their energy. And so then it put me in that place where I felt like I had to be hard. I couldn't show any emotion. I had to mm-hmm. be tough. I had to be independent. I had to have my own. So I was taking on that masculine role. And it was because I always kept company with the males and I always kept company with the males because. I was longing for a father. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I hadn't really never thought of it like that, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, It makes a lot of sense. I just always thought, okay, well I have, I have a history of, you know, looking for love in all the wrong places because there's definitely all of that. And that's what you think about mainly when you think, oh, well, it's because I didn't have my dad around and all that. So of course I did that. And I didn't, I didn't do it to the degree that I think a lot of other um, girls my age were doing it at the time, but it definitely, that definitely was because I, I, I was craving that craving attention. I was craving affection and 
I don't, it's, it's weird. Cause it's like, you don't, I didn't have, that's not the kind of relationship that I had with my dad. You know, I know that there, there are women that have had very harmful relationships with their dad, um, traumatic relationships with their dad because their dads have caused harm to them. And that wasn't, that's not my story with my dad, but it's weird that when you lose that father figure, it, there's something um, that's, that's triggered in you to go looking for some boy to tell you, tell you that he loves you or something. It's just really strange. I think that's what a whole term daddy issues comes in. When people say mm-hmm. when people, because it's been said to me, girl, your daddy issues are showing. I think that's where it comes from because you are longing for something to feel or somebody to feel that void in your life. So why wouldn't you look for it in an individual that looks like your dad? And by looks like, I don't mean physically look like, but he's a male. And so why wouldn't mm-hmm. you look for that? And I think that's, that's where people, and I want to point out this too. All girls who grew up without a dad don't have daddies. Right. Come on now. Right. Right. Just because you grew up without a dad does not mean that you have daddy issues. And just because you grew up with a dad doesn't, doesn't mean, you, mean don't. you don't have daddy issues. <laughs> That's right. Because you could very well have daddy issues mm-hmm. because just because he's living in the house house with you, is he emotionally present? Is he teaching you how to love and how to be loved? And is he contributing to positive self-worth and all those things? So or is he abusive? Yeah. Or is he abusive, you know? So just because he's in the house with you does not mean that you don't have daddy issues. And just because he's not in the house does not mean that you have daddy issues. I just wanted to throw that out there just in case, yeah, you know, y'all true. want to tell the world. Because, you know, people people do that when you, when you grow up without your father, especially men. And I don't want to put them all in the same box, but some men they automatically think that, oh, she's got issues because she didn't grow up without her dad. But there are some emotionally healthy women walking and breathing every day, emotionally healthy black women walking and breathing every day who grew up without a father, regardless of how they ended up in that situation. They are still emotionally healthy. So can we please just like look at individuals and not clump everybody in one box and say she doesn't have a dad so she's automatically got got daddy yeah i think i think the those those some men that say that kind of thing i'm willing to bet that half the time when they're saying that it's not even about the woman having daddy issues it's about them dropping the ball on something in the relationship and then getting called Mm -hmm. out for it and then they want to try and pass the blame back and be like, no, that's just you because you have daddy issues. It's like, no, you probably, you might've been being a jerk and she wasn't happy about that, rightly so. And she called you on it and you don't want to be called out on your own crap. So you want to deflect and say, oh, it's all her because of her daddy issues. Maybe you have issues of some sort. Maybe you have daddy issues even. That part. (laughs) Because men can have daddy issues too. They most certainly can. We can all have daddy. daddy. We can have mama issues. If we're being it, daddy issues. If we're being honest, yeah. Sibling issues, all of that. We can have all all of that. So when you when you hear the word daddy issues, Natty, like what's the first thing that comes to mind for you? When I hear okay, so honestly, when I hear daddy issues, the thing that I was just describing is what I first think of. I think of, okay, what's the source? If it's some guy saying this person, this woman has daddy issues, that's the first thing I think. If it's a, a woman, yeah, if it's a woman saying it, I don't, that's not what I first jumped to. 
I first mm-hmm. jumped to, oh my gosh, did she, I don't think of um, an absent dad. I think of an abusive dad. Ah, that's interesting. That's interesting. When I hear it, like if a man said it to me, like it's different. Oh yeah. <laughs> like you just yeah. said, if a man says it to me, I'm immediately, immediately triggered. Mm-hmm. But I will say in all the times there have been, uh, there haven't been a lot of times, but in the times that it has been said to me, I will say that my air quote daddy issues were coming to the surface at that time because I do have daddy issues. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's just be real. I do. And I'm still working through some of them. So, yeah, I will say for me, it, it is a trigger for me that I am still working on because a part of me, you know how you how you how you feel like I wasn't enough for him to for him to stay mm-hmm. or he chose somebody else over me. Yeah, I live with that from the because my like I said, I've said this before, my, my dad, you know, he left and got married and raised somebody else's kids, you know, and all that. And so I always struggle with him choosing someone else over me. Right. Right. So that's that's part that's part of my daddy issue. But that's and a so, major daddy issue. That's major. That's a major daddy issue. And it keeps me on guard all the time when I am in a relationship because I'm always afraid that he's going to choose somebody else over me. Mm -hmm. So I find myself often overcompensating in areas because I don't want him to choose somebody else, which ends up causing me to settle in the relationship. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think um, listening to you describe that I have, I have abandonment issues and Mm. I know like my brain fully understands that my father died. Like he didn't just up and say, I'm going to leave. He died. He, he had lung cancer, but there, there were a lot of years when I was um, a kid and, you know, going through my teenage years, there were a lot of times when I felt angry at my dad because he didn't quit. He ne- he didn't quit smoking. And there was a part of me that was like, you could have, you could have avoided this. You could have avoided getting lung Mm -hmm. cancer. So there were two things. There were two things that I was angry with my dad about. One, he didn't quit smoking. And two, he didn't go to the doctor. um, And looking back, I I get it. He was afraid to go. He was afraid. I think he kind of knew what was going on and he was afraid of having it so by the time he finally mm-hmm. did go to the doctor, the, the tumor was malignant and they were like, we're going to do whatever we can. We're going we're gonna to have surgery. So they had surgery, but they couldn't get it all out. So he had chemotherapy and radiation. And for a little while, it looked like he was getting stronger and better. And then like a month before he actually died, he just took a turn and, and it, everything just went south. And mm-hmm. then like, within a month's time of him taking that turn, he was gone. He died on Memorial day in 1985. And so I was, I was mad at him for, for, for not quitting smoking. And then I was mad at him for waiting so long. I was like, if you had gone to the doctor before you actually went, they probably could have saved your life. Or if you had quit smoking, you know, a few years ago or whatever, maybe you wouldn't have this. And of course I'm not having these conversations with him. He's already gone, you know, but I was mad. And the anger would just come and go because I wasn't 
constantly angry at my dad. Um, right. And then add in, you know, parents, parents are human beings. They're not meant to be put on pedestals. Some parents are worse mm-hmm. than others because some parents really mm-hmm. are horribly abusive. My dad wasn't that, but there were some abusive moments in my life. They were few and very far between, but they were there. And so he made some, he made some mistakes when I was a kid. The vast majority of the time that like 95% of the 11 years that I had with him were great, but there was a 5% where he really screwed up and he screwed up with me. He screwed up with my mom even more than he screwed up with me. And I didn't know any of that until later, but yeah, there were, there were things about that that made me really mad. And so I ended up feeling like there, there was a part of me that even though my mind understood, you know, the man died, you know, he didn't pack his bags right. and say, I'm leaving. Right. There was still a part of me that felt like he abandoned. Me. And so I've had, I've had real fears of abandonment. Um, and it's so weird because I've had some relationships. I mean, I, I was married. Well, this is my, I'm married now, but this is my second husband and my first husband mm-hmm. left. And that was like my worst fear being realized, like being abandoned. And I had a baby, I had a 10 month old baby. And so it was like, oh, all those abandonment fears that I had, here they are showing up in my life. Um, Right. And so, yeah, that's some stuff that I've had to work through. Wow. That's interesting because when you, it's like you said, when you lose your father to death, he didn't really abandon you, but that doesn't negate the fact that you felt abandoned mm-hmm. and you had, you had to, and then, so going forward in your relationship, you all, you, that was one of your greatest fears. Ooh, girl. Oh, definitely. Cause it's like the ultimate rejection to me. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not speaking for anyone else, but being abandoned, being told, yeah, I'm leaving you by mm-hmm. is like the worst. And yeah, it, I mean, people break up and all that kind of stuff, but it's, it's different. I feel like it's different when you have a family or I guess mm-hmm. in my mind, it was supposed to be different. It shouldn't be so easy when you have a family, but for some people it is, I don't know. But yeah, the, that, that fear of abandonment was real. And I'm also going to share this. I wasn't just mad at my dad. I was, I was low key mad at God too. I was, because I, I prayed and I begged and I cried myself to sleep at night mm-hmm. when he was in the hospital, you know, having these, the surgeries and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, I remember praying just with my face in the pillow. God, I'm just, I'm a kid. And I really do need my daddy. I don't, it's just him and my mom. That's, they're all I've got. Like I've got, you know, my uncles and stuff, but like in the house, it's all I've got. Please don't. I mean, I'm, I'm an 11 year old. So I'm thinking, please don't take him away. Please don't let him die. Like I, I have to grow up and I want to get married and I want him to be there for that. And I want to have kids of my own and I want him to be there. And how am I going to go through all the kind of, you know, graduating from high school? I can't imagine him not being there. All this stuff, even though I knew had, had he, had he stayed alive, my mom would have divorced him. She already said she was going to. And the only thing that stopped her was them finding out that he had cancer because she was fed up. She was like, I can't take it. anymore." So mm-hmm. he wasn't going to be in the home anyway. Like I was going to be going back but and you forth, still wanted him. but I still wanted him there. And so I remember praying and praying and praying and praying. 
And then him getting better, and it looked like he was getting better. Physically, he, he looked better. And then in May, it was almost like, it must have been like May 1st or April 30th. It, it just, he just took a turn and there was no turning back. And I remember feeling, um, and I can say now I was mad at God at the time. I couldn't really process that, that that's what it was. And for a long time, I just said, I learned my lesson. I'm on my own. You know, like I can't, I wasn't doing a lot of praying. Yeah. I was like, the, the whole praying thing isn't working. I didn't, I didn't stop believing in God, but I really took, I really got, I took the message away that I'm, I'm really on my own here. So for a long time, I really didn't pray very much except for very superficial things. Oh, I pray, you know, I hope I, I pray I pass this test or do good on this I pass test. This test. Yeah. Well, of course I would I do, I did, I did good on tests because I, I was, I made, I was a straight A student, but, um, you know, there were time, you know, when I was a senior, I remember praying to, to have certain things come to pass, like as far as college and those things did not happen. And it kind of threw me right back to when my dad died. I was like, wow, for a very long time, Shirley, I was like, I can't pray and actually believe and have real faith for big things because those things won't happen. And wow. so it's like, it was only like maybe in my later 30s that, or even early, early 40s that I, I had to come out and say, no, I really, I really was just angry. I was angry at God too. I can't, I can't even imagine. Uh, I've been angry at God, but not because, you know, I have an anger with him when my brother died too. But anyway, that's a story for another day. Yes, yeah, story for another day, right? <laughs> right, because there's a lot to be unpacked with all of that, you know. Yeah, there's a lot to yeah. be unpacked as yeah. far as our faith is concerned, and especially me being in, in the in the place that I am now, where I'm doing a lot of of deconditioning, and I, I call it decolonizing my own faith. You know, my faith in Jesus is the baby. And I'm throwing out like a ton of really filthy bathwater because there's, there's all, there's a, there's so much of it. So I'm in that process and I have been in that process for the last five years. And so, yeah, there's a lot to, there's a lot to, to unpack with all of that. And the great thing about, you know, the, the way I, the way I feel about it is I think the great thing about God is, is God's okay with it. God knows whatever it is we're feeling. And, is not like taken aback and you know, twiddling his thumbs like, oh my gosh, she doesn't like me right now. Or, oh, she's mad. You know, I don't think that's what's going on. He's like, he's like I, I know she still loves me. She's just going through a moment right now. She'll be back. Yeah. That's how, that's how he, he knows you'll be back. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and I am, I'm, I'm there, but I, mm-hmm. I feel like I have the freedom to really express a lot of those things that I was feeling. And I was not expressing right. those things before because I feel, you know, it was like, oh, you can't say that because that's wrong or whatever. The way you feel is the way you feel. And if you don't talk about it, it's not going to stop feeling that way. <laughs> it's just probably going to get right, worse. Absolutely. So you have to talk about right. it. right? Because you, because you bury it down and yeah. then it, all it does is causes even more emotional trauma yeah. in your life. So yeah, you have to talk about it. Okay, we got to get ready to wrap it up. <clears throat> wow, we have been talking for a while. Sorry. <laughs> Listen, if I didn't have this timer on, we probably would still be going. <laughs> but uh, we got to get ready to wrap it up. But here's what here's what I want to say before we wrap it up is that Natty and I both grew up 
without our fathers. And yes, it did cause us some emotional pain that we are still processing. But here's what I've learned. Daddies leave. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They cannot, for whatever, for whatever reasons they leave. It could be the relationship didn't work out. Maybe they were never even present. Maybe you don't even know your dad. And so you have the, the issue of abandonment because you never even met him. Maybe your dad passed away. They can, but they, they leave, but they cannot be replaced. And oftentimes we are constantly searching for something or somebody to fill that right. void in our lives. And so we have to get to a place where we accept that daddy's gone. He cannot be replaced. No boyfriend, no husband, no, what's the opposite of mistress for a man? I don't know. But anyway, he, <laughs> no child. <laughs> No child is going to fill that void in right. your life. No, no amount of sucking it up, chinning it up, endurance, none of that. The only thing that's going to fix what's broken in that part of your life is dealing with the pain. And I can honestly say that that, that is what Natty and I have done and we are continuing to do yeah. to process the pain so that we can move past it and keep going with our lives because daddies leave, people leave, people leave. you know, it's, it's, it's a part of life. That is what, that is what happens. So here's the deal. Fathers are important. Mothers are important. Parents are important. People are important. If you do not have your dad, that's just a piece of your story. It does not define who you are. That is not where your happiness lies. It's just a part of your story. So the message that I want to get out today, the first step in healing, whatever the circumstance is, is to understand that everything happened to you happened to grow you. I know it probably doesn't feel like it in the moment, but I got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm a better person now that I'm processing my daddy issues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Only good can come from that, you know? Only good can come from that. And my dad and I for a long time did not have a, a, a good relationship but now because so much of life has happened we are in a fairly decent place we're not in the best place but we're in a fairly decent place so and that's amazing better it is that's it, amazing. It, it, but it couldn't but honestly natty it could not have happened had i not took the time to understand that it happened or accept that it happened there's nothing i can do to go back and change it And ultimately, he did not choose somebody else over me. He chose another life. Mm. He didn't choose another child over me. He chose another life. And when I I learned to accept that, I was able to get the healing that I needed and move past it. So, yeah, now we're in a a fairly decent place. We still got some work to do, but we're in a fairly decent place. And and I'm happy about that. And being able to be in a place where you can still do the work that still needs to be done that's absolutely. that's a lot more than absolutely. a lot of people can say yeah absolutely and that's what we've been talking about for the, for the last couple of episodes is doing the work you have to be willing to do the work because if you don't you are going to continue to live in a place of unrest right and that um, I don't know how many times I have to say that is a miserable existence it is so to wake up sad every morning oh my gosh to wake up pretending every morning 
that's that is a miserable existence. And I know we all wear masks. We talked about that in the episode before too. We wear the mask to protect how we're really feeling. But it's time to rip off the mask, ladies. Yeah. Let's get this healing. I'm to show our right? faces. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get this healing and show our faces. But we can only show our faces and feel good about doing it when we process the stuff that we have buried deep inside. So yeah, let's commit to doing the work. Any closing words, Natty, before we shut it down? Well, honestly, like I said at the beginning of the episode, you just said it very well. So I'm going to leave it at that. She did that. (laughs) You are on top of things. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen that um, Netflix doc? She did that? I did. It was so good. It was so good. It was so good. I'm trying to be a guest on that. I mean, a feature on that. I've been following her for a couple of years. So I'm really, yeah. I've been following a few of those people for a while. Yeah, it was so good. Yes. And I saw Lovey on there. You know, I love Lovey, girl. Yeah. (laughs) So I love her. Yeah. But anyway, we digress. So yeah, go to the website, get that free meditation. It is going to help you peel back the layers. It's going to help you peel back the layers so that you can move past all this stuff that you've been letting build up over the years. And as always, follow us across all social media platforms. Join the conversation. Reach out to us if you need support. We got you. Yep. All right. We out of here. Bye. Bye. Bye.